episode of the Lemonade Budget for Champagne Social Butterflies, the aspirational podcast for hopeless people. I am Donna Scott. I am flipping good. How the heck are you? Awesome. So I'm speaking to you from spiky old riddled Northampton. Yeah, we are in special measures. We're not in lockdown. We've just been told off. It's like Ofsted have come in and said that our lessons are a bit faily. We haven't really learned them from, you know, the previous spiky bits that we've been through. And so we've been asked to sort of like make sure we wash our hands and not car share and keep working from home. But we're not locked down. So, you know, the pub is fine. All of that. And the reason we're in such a precarious position is because of a sandwich factory. So here's the thing, right? A lot of people have been pressured to go back to their jobs in offices right now. And the thinking behind that is that there are little tiny businesses around offices that depend on people going in to work and forgetting to pack their lunch, basically. Oh, the M&S by the train station that costs like three times as much as you would normally spend in M&S. Oh, it's not doing so well because all the offices are shut. Let's get everybody back in, get them all harried and, you know, bothered, get them to forget to make their lunch in the morning so they can go and use M&S and buy a sandwich there. So there's a factory in Northampton which makes M&S sandwiches for everybody called Greencore. And they've recently had a huge outbreak of coronavirus. We don't know how many people are sick. Don't ask me that. We don't know. But people tested positive for coronavirus in Greencore, that's 10% of them out of 2,000 people working there. Well, nearly, sorry, nearly 3,000. So yeah, almost three. My math is rubbish. Anyway, it's almost 300 people had got coronavirus working at Greencore. And so there was a press conference uh, last week and the councillor Nunn, he was saying, oh yeah, at least it's isolated to this factory. It wasn't because there's a few other businesses that have not been, we've not been told who that who they are and 11 care homes that have had outbreaks as well. That really pushed our spike up. Um, we said like, oh, at least it's contained to this factory. So we're like, brilliant. Okay, we know it's the factory, shut the factory. And then public health spokesperson, Lucy Whiteman, she come on and she's like, oh, the social distancing and you know anti-coronavirus measures taken by the factory are quotes exemplary exemplary yeah that word isn't it it's just a perfect word you never know where the flipping l and the r and the a is in that or if there should be an e exemplary it's one of those words that sticks out when i hear it it means that you know the factory's done no wrong i'm thinking right so if 10 percent of your workforce has got covid let's think about this you're doing something wrong it's like, oh, it's it's down to the workers. They're socialising outside of work. Are they? Don't tell me that, that all of them are into these raves that have been happening and have just gone to one of them. No, no, no. What it is, is that some of them have to use the bus to get into work. Some of them have to car share to get into work. And some of them live 20 people to a flipping house because Green Corps are not paying their workers enough. That's it. So, like, this is not just any... Marks and Spencer's sandwich. This is a riddled coronavirus inducing flipping. Why don't you make your own lunch sandwich? I'm sorry, that's not a very relaxing way to start this podcast, is it? A bit ranty. It's a bit there. 
But let me tell you, the whole coronavirus situation is stressing me out. You might know that I have had to do a bit of travelling lately uh, to see family and that. And I've had um, a couple of occasions to visit uh, a pub. And let me say, pubs, pubs are brilliant. I love pubs. I love gigs in pubs. I love beer gardens. I love the, the sun wafting over my face. The sun wafting over my face. I love the gentle breeze wafting over my face. The sun kissing my skin as I down a, a beautiful pint of cider. Pubs are brilliant. And people in pubs, generally, when you get to a pub, and it's like, I haven't seen you for ages. I love people in pubs. My friend, my friend, having a conversation. Brilliant. But lately, I feel like I'm so stressed out by pubs. It's like you go to a pub and then you have five hours of telling people not to hug you. I don't even know who you are. I haven't seen my brother since March. <laughs> go away. So, yeah, I mean, I have started getting a bit paranoid. Sleepless nights. I told you I was not sleeping a couple of weeks ago. Oh, my God, it's got worse. But I thought I'd try and allay some of the insomnia a little bit by going and having a COVID test because I have just been worried. You know, huggy people. And um, I am fine. I am fine. Um, so, yeah, I am. I am n- no COVID flies on me. I have no COVID cooties. So yeah, I've done the test and let me tell you what it's like. Um, God, I think the last driving test I took was easier. And I failed that five times. Right. (laughs) So you have to, um, there's one set up on the market square and you book an appointment online and you have to have like the QR code on your your app to show them so you can say you've booked this time slot. You go in and they give you a kit um, and then they explain to you very quietly. So it's very frustrating because neither of you can remove your mask. Uh, exactly what you need to do. And then they, they guide you to a little a little uh, side tent. <laughs> like, you know, like when you have a, like a tent, there's like a, another bit where, you know, the private things happen. Only it's not really in that private. You do have people walking past all the time which in in my case turned out to be quite useful and then there's like a poster on the wall telling you what to do it, it, and it's like an ikea poster you know very pictorial and then there's some words and you've got to then read them and put them together and for some reason i wasn't putting a lot of this together myself <laughs> it's like this is taking a long time to read i have a master's in english and <laughs> and um in your kit You've got like a, a cotton bud that is longer than they used as, as the pugil sticks on gladiators. And you're supposed to poke your tonsils with that, wipe it round your tonsils, then take it out, stick it in your nose, a bit like if you've seen Al Rudge do his magic trick with the, with the nail, a bit like that. And then wipe it round the inside of your skull a couple of times. Um, and don't do it the other way around, otherwise you're you're snotting your tonsils then. And then you pop, you pop it into like a, a vial with some kind of preserving liquid in it, and you're supposed to snap it off. So <laughs> all went a bit wrong for me. There were people just keep checking it up for me. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm I'm reading the instructions, <laughs> and then you know they could tell I was taking taking some time to get this done because I'm I am hopeless with this kind of thing. The, my mirror, 
and it's it's like the mirror I got was like something you find in a vintage charity shop. It was all fly blown, and it's it's there to help you see the back of your of your throat, so you know where your tonsils are, so you're not blindly sticking a pugil stick in the back of your throat. And it was rubbish because it was just all blurry. And I was like, I don't need to be soft focused for my vanity in this situation. <laughs> so I'm there trying to find my tonsils and one of the assistants walking past, she catches my eye and I smile at her uh, as you do, because you know, it's like, yeah. What's it? But in that moment, I must have moved something in my... <laughs> anyway, I basically poke my gag reflex <laughs> and I basically throw up in my hands so yeah my, my I'm like still smiling as the vom <laughs> is hitting my fingers oh my god the horror the horror and she's like oh don't worry don't worry uh, this happens a lot the thing is I'm not surprised and then it's like an awkward conversation <laughs> It's like whether or not there's there's too much of it on on your stick, or whether you need a new kit. We decided that was okay. That was okay. So <laughs> right up the nose <laughs> with the stick. Oh my god! So sorry. I'm gonna have to put a trigger warning at the at the beginning of this and and say skip. On I yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that was fine. Go to put it in the vial, snap it, and I've snapped it too high, haven't I? And they go, oh, never mind, we'll get you another one. You can do it again. I was like, jeez, <laughs> just made myself ill. <laughs> I've just did it wrong now. That was fine. So get, get the other one. That managed, managed to do that fine, very carefully. Snapped it off to go in the tube again, and I snapped it off again too big because it looked at me and said, Oh, no, you can't have it bending. I'm like, What difference does it make? So I thought, I'm not doing a third one. So I was like, Yeah, done it, done it. Yeah. But my life. I don't think I have been sick in a marquee in Northampton Town Square since they did the beer festivals there. Which coincidentally may have been at the same time Badly Drawn Boy was playing. And he got really upset and he threw a harmonica stand at a woman in the audience. And um, I got quoted in the Northampton Cron for calling him a flump on steroids. Bit of positive news, though. It has been good to see that people have been able to go back out and do live gigs. Now, even though some indoor performances are now allowed, most of the comedy shows that I've seen advertised are still outdoors. They're taking place in car parks, beer gardens, random fields, back gardens. It's it's lovely. I've seen quite a few advertised, but I've not gone for many because I can't get to them at the moment. We've still got no car. I feel I feel jealous. I do feel jealous of people, but at the same time, I am very nervous still about mixing with the general public. Don't like doing it. I don't think I would go for an indoor gig at all at the moment. Because I'm just too nervous. That said, I have been very motivated and inspired by a post by comedian John Wagstaff, who posted online the other day, an idea to save live comedy. If you're an act 
and have ever thought about booking a gig or speaking to a venue, do it now. But for F's sake, speak about a ticketed gig, a gig with a budget. What the industry doesn't need now is people going to an event and seeing 12 of your mates doing 10 minutes each. <laughs> By all means, book new acts, but give an audience a reason to come back. Speak to bookers and promoters online and people will help you. And this is true. There have been some fantastic gigs um, advertised locally. Comedy Crate have, have put on some awesome shows so far and they've sold out really quick which just shows that there is a real appetite out there for proper comedy. And, you know, tickets are not cheap. They are priced such as ways to ensure that, you know, you get enough people per table. And that maximizes the audience that can actually go and controls the um, social distancing aspect of it as well. It's been so well done. Now, what I've said about this situation is, I agree, it is a tremendous opportunity for everybody to have a real good look at what they're doing and think about how they're going to manage their creativity, how they're going to apply for things, how they're going to run gigs. And the rallying cry that he seems to have started is raise your game. And he, I think he's talking mostly to the newer acts when he says raise your game, because everybody should be trying to sort of like not just pootle along, but actually really, really do well. Um, but I think it's it's a good thing for everybody. I think everybody needs to raise their game. Now, on the flip side of what he's talking about is what I've referred to before as comedy snobbery. It's the idea that if you are a comedian, then to consider yourself a pro comedian, then all of your income should come from comedy. You know, that's not necessarily realistic. If you think about like some of the top acts that you know, if you think of, like, say, Josh Widdicombe, James Acaster, yes, comedy is the backbone of what they do, but they're also writers. They do scripts, they, they do presenting. These are kind of like interrelated, but different skill sets that they're drawing upon as opposed to just stand-up comedy. And if I think about other comedians, I think of those who are good at acting, those with an interest in the sciences, and those whose talents span, you know, multiple disciplines. That is, of course, the ones on telly. When it comes to club comedians, there's very few of them that don't also have another job. Comedy purists can can argue it always, but there's also very few of the ones that say just do comedy that are relying solely on that as an income. And they can be as snobbish as they like about it, but they might have parents they still live with. They might have a partner with a full-time job that is not in comedy or is in comedy, but doing better than them. They might have a full-time day job they might have a part-time day job or they might be doing a lot of work from home on, on things like editing, like what I do. But having a lot of friends in the creative world, I know an awful lot of people who are renowned in their field and they've still got other jobs. It's necessary. It's, it's part of what it is to be a financially responsible human being these days is to be able to to cover your bills and to also have a backup plan for when things are not quite so good creatively you can't always rely on the next thing coming along fantastic times best-selling authors may not be doing quite the same in 10 years you, you, you need a plan and of course you know that one of my other personas is frugal wench so it's something that I think about a lot is about you know your financial responsibility and I'm very used to living within my means I'm very used to sort of not having new things I'm very used to being the one to carry you know the the major share 
of the financial responsibility in my relationship and always having it in the back of my mind that I've got to think of the future because you never know what's around the corner and you've got to make sure you're safe. And I dare say this is not a gendered thing, but it is something that that female comedians often have to think about. The one thing I am quite fortunate about is that I have not had to think about being the primary carer for children the way a lot of uh, female comedians have. It's kind of only really male comedians I've ever seen talk about risk-taking as though that was a noble thing to do when it comes to sort of like pursuing your comedy career. I've watched the Eddie Izzard film Believe hundreds and hundreds of times, basically talking about like how he was a failing comic. He wasn't, not really, but how he'd basically is living on the floor of a flat with all his stuff in bin bags and that is the sacrifice he made to be able to make it as a as a comedian yes it's going to work for some people to take those risks and to leave themselves with very little that they need to be responsible for if they're only going to be responsible for themselves then they can afford to take those personal risks it's just not the way my mind works i feel very creative i'm i'm like a let me think, uh, who's that playwright? Stephen Polyakov. And he did this play starring Jodie Maid. And he, there was a business and they talk about different kinds of business. And one of the businesses was described as a hippo. I think it was Love and Crocodiles. And it was filmed here in Northampton. And Mike Starr was in it, who is a guy we know. And he played the pop star. And yeah, so... They're talking about business models. I feel that I am the business model of a hippo. I'm quite fat and I have four legs very solidly in different disciplines. And I equally weight myself amongst those disciplines. Therefore, if one of my legs fails, I've got the other three propping me up. And I forget what the other kinds of animal it was for the other kind of business. Probably a crocodile. I don't know. But yeah, as an adult, when I had parents who were there to be able to fuss over me, even though I was quite grown up, I think the level of dismay that they would have projected at me had I decided to basically live in a bin and pursue comedy with nothing uh, until my hair fell out and, and chisel, that would, I, I, they wouldn't be able to understand that. I wouldn't be able to understand that. The bricks and mortar and the food in my belly is a very important thing. And also making sure that my family are okay. I'm not one of the Schumacher brothers. You know, they famously missed their own mother's funeral so they could do a race. What was it for in the end? What was it for, Michael Schumacher? What was it for, Ralph Schumacher? Nothing. You missed your mum's funeral. You're bad boys. But it's what she would have wanted. We don't know that, done it? It might have been what she wanted. She probably didn't want to actually die. Anyway, what I'm saying is, yes, raise your game. But two, don't discount the fact that what is primarily driving people here is money. So if you are basically just thinking about comedy as a hobby, maybe now is the time to step back and let those pro acts who really need the gigs go for them. Because there are some who have not been able to earn money in that time. But um, I am finding that a lot of those comics who've not been able to earn in that time are male comedians whose partners have been earning. They're not on their own. Whereas, I don't know, there's a different attitude going on here. It's not entirely fair. Also, if promoters are going to be solely booking only the 
completely pro-act those people who've unshackled the burden of responsibility from the rest of their life to pursue comedy, <laughs> she said, then they are going to be neglecting female comedians in the whole because they're the ones who've not been able to let go. One, they've not been booked as in as many headline gigs as their male counterparts, even though they're as good or better. Why? All the unconscious bias we've been talking about. The fact that only one woman gets to play in a gig most of the time. And if you are then having to put up with mainly playing a lot of middles, not so many headlines, not getting so many paid gigs, then no, you are going to have to spread yourself a bit more thin, aren't you? You're going to have to be a hippo. You're going to have to portfolio yourself. But there's no shame in that. My God, no. Do what you can. These are tough times. I'm the only one earning money at the moment. And I'm earning it in different ways. I am a very famous editor. I'm a flipping good comedian. I'm a jolly good writer. And I do poetry as well. You know, I've I've got all that going on. As well as my red hot IT skills. Well, I can't sell my body, can I? Except for sausages. And speaking of creativity, this is what I've had going on. So you may have noticed that I've been on TV lately again. I had an awful lot of uh, messages of support and amazement as yet again, I got the question about Haribo wrong on the chase. You'd think I'd get it right by now. I've done it often enough. No, I was on, on the ITV because they must have run out of episodes. They, they put me on the 5pm slot again instead of a, on challenge like I normally am. Yeah, a lot of people saw me on TV the other day playing the chase. And yesterday, myself and my husband played What's in the Box. That is available on Frizz Frizzle's YouTube channel. So look that up. And we are playing against Raul Coley, the comedian of comic Sanskrit fame, which you can also listen to on BBC Sounds. And I have another gig online tomorrow, which is my birthday. Uh, So I'm part of the uh, pasta show for poets, prattlers and pandemonialists. And I think that's from about seven tomorrow. But anyway, I have done it all on a YouTube so that's going to premiere on poets, prattlers and pandemonialists and I'll make it available in a couple of days time on my own channel. I've written a poem inspired by a famous Northampton landmark of sorts. Let's see what else is going on. Yeah, just sent back the proofs for a project that I've been working on for some prison inmates. We've been working on a book for them and uh, I've worked on that and as well as people like Andrew O'Neill and Kermit Leverage from Black Grape and, and Shardcore and Lisa Lux and other people, which I'm really pleased to have been asked to take part in. I've pretty much got all my stories in now for Super World Unknown, apart from one or two. Uh, so that's the anthology I'm, I'm doing for Northampton Arts Lab and Friends of the Arts Lab. So that's coming together nicely. And I'm hoping to do quite a few more online gigs soon, so I'm waiting to hear back on a few people for those. I'm also thinking about starting my own up. Yeah, because it's all about raising your game, isn't it? Uh, things aren't fair. Things are precarious out there. Why Why don't I? Why don't I? I'll, shall I do it? Shall I do it? I might just do it. I'm working internationally as well and getting to know... Um, some comedians in America because the world's shrinking now because of this flipping pandemic. That's nice. Taking part in a in an online group where we do like writing exercises. It's a load of fun. And my good life uh, is going on quite well as well. I've got you know cauliflower growing, lettuce, tomatoes, cabbages, beans. You know, set up for life here. It's all good. So now is 
time for the part of the show where I talk to an inspiring individual and this week's guest is author Shona Kinsella. Right, hello, I am joined by Shona Kinsella, author and uh, I have right here the BFS Horizons issue 11 which landed in my on my doorstep today and you're the editor of this aren't you? I am, yes. Uh, so I, I, I been reading your introduction to the BF, BFS Horizons and um, you're talking about uh, lockdown and the pressures of getting this uh, together during this trying time. <laughs> How has it been? Because that, that was week eight you wrote that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's quite a while ago now. It was um, it was definitely a bit more of a challenge than it usually is. I have three children at home, all um, all of school age, so all of them were home um, all day long and needing homeschooled while I was trying to do my own work and put horizons together. So that was less fun than usual. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, it, it it looks fun. <laughs> <laughs> It's a gorgeous cover, isn't it? It is, it is. Who's done that? That's, that's amazing. Uh, Richard Wagner. Oh, Richard Wagner. I always yeah. want to know, know whether it's, it's Wagner or Wagner. Because it's like... Da, 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 <laughs> Wagner. Um, but yeah, he's very good. Um, so how have you been? <laughs> Mostly good. <laughs> how are you? Tip top. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Should have been recording us an episode of What's in the Box this afternoon, but uh, one of the contestants slept in, so so that's tomorrow <laughs> now. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, I've been um, looking at your website, so you can tell that. So you've got quite a, a, a few books out, haven't you? We do. <laughs> I was really shocked the other day. I went on to Goodreads to add my newest. Um, novella to Goodreads and when it came up with the list of all the things that I've got out I was like my goodness I've had a busy few years. Yeah so what was what's the latest book you've got out? So the latest one is The Flame and the Flood which is a novella that came out with Fox Spirit Books last week. It looks amazing. Uh, Fox Spirit they're a really good little publisher aren't they? They're, there's, um, they're based a little bit down the road from me in Market Harborough. Well, one of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Fox Spirit are brilliant. I'm really glad to be able to work with them. Yeah. Uh, so, um, what is The Flame and the Flood about? <laughs> so, it's about um, these people who are born with a certain magical affinity for like a natural element. So, it could be wood or water, fire and metals um, and their affinity allows them to manipulate this uh, element. So the rich classes that are born with affinities become master craftsmen and artisans and are famed for their art and the poor that are born with an affinity are often falsely accused of crime so that they can be pressed into slavery in the factories where their affinities are used to make other people rich. Mm. So Talis and Almaris, the two main characters, are free wielders and they run a sort of underground railroad. 
really free slaves and send them off to other countries where they can practice their their art freely. So, heroes for our time. That sounds amazing. Uh, so this sounds like these characters could be off uh, doing other adventures. So it's like, is this one one in a series? It was intended as a one-off, but my early readers all wanted more. <laughs> so, That's nice so, when that happens, isn't it? <laughs> it's lovely. So I have, um, I have got a few notes for potential um, further adventures of these characters. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, it's a cracking cover as well. So, oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? That was Sarah Ann Langton did that one. Oh, she's great. Uh, I remember when I've, I've been a judge for the BFS awards on the old uh, the artist, and, and that's when uh, we decided that she was the winner. She's <laughs> a winning winning artist. It's good you've got contacts. You see there with the with the with the British Fantasy Society. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's handy. <laughs> uh, uh, speaking of which, are, are you are you missing the fact that we we uh, we've had to sort of cancel? Uh, all of the conventions this year, haven't we? We have. I'm so gutted about FantasyCon. That's like my one big weekend of the year that I go to FantasyCon and I see everyone and have just the best time. And um, I'm definitely going to to miss it this year. But even yeah. I organise, um, I organise some Glasgow social events for BFS, um, where we get together and just have readings and then basically go to the pub and talk about writing. Um, and not even being able to do that this year has been really hard. Have you swapped it out for any of the any of the virtual events? We've not done any virtual events yet. Uh, we are looking into doing some virtual fantasy con type things, but we've not quite nailed down exactly what or when yet. Yeah, I must admit, it, they're not quite the same when I've done virtual things. They are a new breed of interaction. Um, but they're still quite fun to take part in. Um, so I think it's, 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 I'm not saying you should just do it, just do it, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> some, sometimes, I mean, these, these things have also been a, a, a lovely excuse. Oh, hello friends. Yes, I have bought uh, like a great big load of cider. Uh, I'm just gonna drink it in front of you. <laughs> this thing's working. <laughs> uh, so um, you apparently live on the shores of Loch Lamont. That is correct, I do. I live on this, or just at the south shore of Loch Lomans and at the edge of Loch Lomans and the Trossachs National Park. That's so, how you pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> so I live in a very beautiful place. I'm very lucky to live here. So have you been doing what a few people have been doing and getting out there and really appreciating nature in, the, the, this, in this, uh, this time? Is it yeah, well, I always, I've always been a quite outdoorsy person so I always have walked and enjoyed being outside in nature and, and amongst woods and taking the kids bramble picking and um, making bug hotels and all that stuff so we have been doing quite a lot of that yeah that's nice um I think certainly I've appreciated it in, in Northamptonshire um, I live in town but it's very near lots of open spaces so it's been good for that um, and you say like you, the concentration thing has been a little bit affected because you've got the kids at home. Um, uh, but have you been sort of like inspired at all by the situation? Is that, do you think that's creeping into your writing at all? 
Um, I don't. I think I've I've not been working on anything new since the lockdown started. I've been mostly editing work that I had written previously. Um, so I don't think it's affected my writing too much. I expect it most likely will turn up in the next batch of things that I write. Yeah. And have you had any time to do any any reading? Mine, my reading time, I thought I'd have loads of reading time and I've barely done any. Apart from the stuff I've been working on professionally. Um, yeah. it's, it's been crazy. Although I, I will be reading the BFS Horizons. We'll read that this afternoon. <laughs> um, do you know what I've not been doing as much reading as as I would like because with the children home and needing homeschooled and attention, I've not been able to get as much work done through the day. So I've been working in the evenings when the kids are in bed. And then by the time I finished work, I'm so tired, I just sit and watch telly for an hour and then fall into my bed. Um, so I've not read as much as I usually would, but I did. I have read um, Cage of Souls recently by Adrian Tchaikovsky. Oh. Which is brilliant. I mean, Adrian's work's always brilliant, but <laughs> Cage of Souls was really, really good. Um, and I read the first few Outlander books. Oh, the Outlander books. Uh, who, who writes those now? I can't remember. It's Diana Gabaldon. Um, and they're excellent. Um, I watched the TV show, so I was a bit apprehensive that the books would be really different and it would spoil the TV show a bit for me. But they're very close, so it's really good. Yeah, I think Netflix is kind of like taking... Uh, did you have Netflix? I was taking over my life. <laughs> sort of like it's not not so much Netflix and chill, but it's just Netflix and sort of like decomposing a heap on the sofa. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I've been watching like the Umbrella Academy and Lock and Key. That was the, that was the start um, of lockdown. So all all the things that are based on graphic novels, the boys, um, <laughs> so even even things that they you know are very visual when you read them. Um, that's what I've been I've been indulging in. I think, <laughs> so like, too many no words, please. Uh, like, <laughs> with, you know, the old editing side of things. There's been a lot of words. Yeah, yeah. So this being the lemonade budget for champagne social butterflies, the aspirational podcast for hopeless people. I have been asking people um, about uh, their their aspirational sides of, of themselves. So my question to you, I had a question for you, is like, if you were going to set yourself up as a lifestyle guru for these strange times, what would be your catchy lifestyle mantra? Now, see, this is tough because I'm not really an inspirational kind of person. I'm like a Linkin Park, angsty lyrics kind of person. <laughs> I beg to disagree, but look, you've got the three kids at home. You always say you've been homeschooling, you've been writing, You've been working in the in the evenings. You've you you are. How many books have you have you got out there now? <laughs> I've got three out and another three under contract. See, <laughs> and then you've been editing BFS Horizons as well. Um, anything you got? Got something else you've been doing? <laughs> <laughs> Just you know, add another plate, spin it round. <laughs> Okay, so so my lifestyle guru um, catchphrase thing would be 
read widely and love deeply. Oh, I think that's a good one. Yes, <laughs> I think it's, it's a good thing because you've got to imagine that somebody painting that on their wall in their living room. Yeah, <laughs> it's a live, laugh, love, you know. <laughs> that kind of read, read, read widely and love deeply. Yes, that sounds good. <laughs> The other, the, other, the other question I was going to ask you, right, so this is the opportunity to read widely, I think, but apparently we are heading to a book for launch on September the 4th. Yeah. Because uh, this, apparently, people have been delaying all their books coming out, and September the 4th, there's going to be 600 books by major publishers published all at once on the same day, hoping to catch in on that lucrative Christmas market. <laughs> <laughs> so... What have you got your eye on anything? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I don't really have I'm not waiting for anything. The big um the two books that I was really looking forward to this year were The Relentless Moon by Mary Robinette Cole and Doors of Eden by Adrian Tchaikovsky. And they're both out. So um so I've bought them already. <laughs> <laughs> so like all the books I'm working on are like, I've been working on some things that are like already out, then just needed another spruce for the next edition. Or, um, yeah, they're not out until next year. So, yeah. so it's like, I, 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 I can't even tell you what, what's coming out on September the 4th, but there, if there, for there to be a lot of books, <sighs> it's just, it's, just it's just mad, really weird. It? It's because all of the book fairs are cancelled. Yeah. So no one, all, all of the marketing managers, they've been sort of like, what, what do we do? The best time to promote all the books would be in, just for the Christmas market then because we've missed all the other opportunities. Um, and I know that um, Adam Neville in his newsletter, he got his uh, readers to vote when to release his next book, when it'd be more useful them. I think everyone was really hopeful that things would be fully open again in the autumn. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, to do tours and events and things, but yeah, we can in a field if we get like a, <laughs> get a pub pub garden. Launch <laughs> in the pub garden, <laughs> and, and like everyone queue two meters apart, <laughs> and um, I'll sign with uh, with a pen on a stick. <laughs> <laughs> Margaret Atwood had it right, didn't she? With that e pen, I'm going to sit in another country and sign your book for you. <laughs> That's how all Atwood has a whole lot of things right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, good grief. Yeah, we, we, we shouldn't go, yay, Margaret Atwood, for being correct on how awful things are. <laughs> no. No, oh. I suppose we should be booing. <laughs> <laughs> Boo, Margaret Atwood. <laughs> oh, dear. So, um, what are your plans for this beautiful weekend? <laughs> well, um, for the rest of the day, I'll probably be doing some editing work. And then um, my husband and I are going to watch K9 tonight because <laughs> we found it on Netflix. And we thought it would be fun to watch an old nonsense film. <laughs> I was thinking Doctor Who. I was thinking... <laughs> The, oh, um, it's not called Canine, it's called The Adventures of Sarah Jane and it's on Britbox. <laughs> <laughs> the Sarah Jane Adventures, that's it. <laughs> yeah, oh. my love that. 
Yeah. What I particularly love is the opening titles where, where, where um, Elizabeth Sladen is basically sitting outside a country pub, much as we do these days. And then she just like pours herself like a glass of wine and then cheers herself. <laughs> it's like, well done me. I've got some wine. <laughs> but yeah, canine. Oh, I'll have to look out for that. <laughs> um, we've been watching Dirty John. <laughs> Well, I might, um, I might spoil myself so we D&T. Oh, nice. I've got, I've got a layoff. I've had a, a, um, a bit of a boozy night last night because it was a, a friend's 60th birthday. So I need to lay off tonight uh, on the old source. Uh, <laughs> you cover a bit. He needs a complaining. Um, <laughs> in fact, I'm not even planning to drink on my birthday. I might have a bit, a bit of something, I don't know. But it's my birthday on Wednesday and I'm like, I don't, want to, I don't want to go out, I don't want to do anything. I think going out to a pub now just is, is so stressful. It's like five hours of shouting at strangers to keep the hell away from you. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I've not even tried to go to a pub yet because I think a lot of the, the stuff that makes it fun isn't there. <laughs> like, you know, they're, they're not playing music and... <laughs> But yeah, you cushioned with alcohol. No, that doesn't work. <laughs> no. Alcohol, less effective than a mask. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think well, my, my plan is to just get on with with um, some, some editing myself, uh, put this podcast together and uh, and take part in a quiz show um, <laughs> at some point. <laughs> That will be fun. Yeah. All right. Um, it's been brilliant talking to you, Shona. Um, is there anything in particular you would like to share um, uh, with people before before we, we pop off? Uh, something you'd like to tell people to, that you, you, you would say, I would like you to do this one thing. Maybe, you know, like, why? <laughs> other than buying my pigs. <laughs> yeah. So something yeah. of yours that you can, you can plug. Something you want the world to do to improve. <laughs> and maybe maybe a recipe they could try this week. I don't know. Is that really kind of that's, that's really boring? Maybe a science experiment they could try this week. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> okay, so my thing to plug would be the flame and flood, because it's new and it's shiny and please read it. <laughs> um the thing to do would be my challenge is just to be kind, like to actively look for opportunities to be kind. And for a science experiment, get some white flowers and some fid dye and <laughs> put your flowers in a vase and put a few drops of fid dye in and see if you can colour your flowers. Ah, oh. my kids love that one. Oh, so that works. Yep, you put fit dye in the water and it goes up the stem of the flower and colours the petals. Oh, right. Because I was picturing like the really old advert for simple. Where they, they get a lily and, and, and spray it with, flower, with dye. You want to draw this to a lily? We won't do it to you. <laughs> I think that was the slogan. But yeah, that sounds really cool. I might, I would do that apart from I, I, I don't buy flowers. 
Maybe I can get a leak and do it with a leak. <laughs> Leaks are amazing. I don't know if you have them and like you buy them and then you forget about them for a week and then they get bigger in your fridge. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you know that if you keep the ends that you cut off, you can regrow them. Yeah. Yeah. They're fantastic. <laughs> so yeah, there we go. That was a food-based one. <laughs> Always come back to food. <laughs> All right, Shana, it's been lovely speaking to you. I hope you have a, a fantastic end of August, end of August weekend. And the sun is shining for you and the wind is not as bad as it is down here because it's flipping windy. <laughs> well, it's lovely here today. So um, I managed to get out for a nice walk earlier. Marvellous. Okay, thank you very much for speaking with me. <laughs> thank you for having me on. And then we say goodbye for the sake of the podcast. Which we, but we'll come and chat in if you like. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> hey. So, yeah, we'll stop that recording now. That's done. Okay, that's it from me for another edition of the Lemonade Budget for Champagne Social Butterflies. I hope you've enjoyed listening to that. Um, if you can, please do subscribe to this uh, podcast across multiple platforms. Um, I'm on Apple, Spotify, and oh what's this one um podbean <laughs> so i'm on those uh, if you can that will help push me up the charts um give me a five star rating on apple would also be awesome four stars would be okay please you know just just in that region that'd be great and um if you can find my my youtube channel donna scott's comedy and subscribe to that i only have a few subscribers you need a thousand subscribers to monetize youtube i'm like nowhere near every little helps honestly it's nearly my birthday it's my birthday like and subscribe like and subscribe smile and wave smile and wave and i shall speak to you soon you've been listening to the lemonade social budget for champagne social butterflies i'm donna scott i'm signing off bye You've been listening to the Lemonade Budget for Champagne Social Butterflies with Donna Scott. Please like and subscribe. Give us a five-star review. I love you. Also check out Donna Scott Comedy on YouTube and my website, donna-scott.co.uk. Music, It Looks Like the Future But It Feels Like the Past by Dr Turtle on Flush Your Rolex EP.